Well, good morning. How was your homework this week? Yeah, this one was was uh, one of those passages you have to like stop and read every word. It's like, wait, what was that again? Read it a few times. Yeah. Um, did anything stand out to anyone? hit on the word no condemnation yeah i mean there's no going forward no going back there was just none yeah and then i felt like it took something that i'm very familiar with and just dug a whole lot deeper into my head in a way i've never studied before I think in the past I may have just read through this and gone, yeah, 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 yeah. Right. <laughs> but as I read it and took every word and every, every, you know, sentence, it was like, yeah. You know, it was a deeper. It was a deeper. Yeah. And, and that's what, that's, that's like the, the whole goal of, of slowing down observing your text and 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 really studying it is so that we can uh, we can have that experience that we can look at some of these passages that we may not have really looked at before and be like oh so um, so what did I know this was our lesson from two weeks ago, but, you know, it, it's okay to go backwards some. What did you think about the baptisms on Sunday morning? Did you look at them any differently than maybe you did the last time you watched one? Did it make you appreciate it any differently? Yes. I, I, was, I did, and I appreciated your Mm -hmm. But we had some in our service, and we could hear the other ones, right? And and vice versa. Yeah. And I thought that was very, very good. Yeah. And to hear tech team was on top of it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's important in this day. Mm -hmm. And uh, I thought it was very inspiring to hear <clears throat> the uh, testimonies. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, good. Well, I have a question for you. Have you ever seen a sign similar to this? Wet paint, do not touch. Yeah. But when you, yeah, did, did it make you want to touch it? Yes. I figure it can't be all wet. There's got to be a spot. Yeah. You know, it's just to check if it really is still wet, or did they just leave the sign there, right? That's that's really what it is, right? But really, why did we want to touch it? Because we are sinners. Um, you know, if you think back to when your kids are small, were small, for some of you that was this morning, for some of us 
a, or for some of you, that is a little bit longer. I'm still in denial that my kids are growing up. Um, did you ever tell them not to touch something like maybe the stove because it was hot? And then, and then were you able to just completely just say, nope, don't touch that, and then walk away and leave the room with them in there? I would walk up with their hand and get as close as I could to the stove, the wood stove, and say, see, it's getting hotter, hotter, hotter. Now it's going to really be hot. Don't do that. So they could tell yeah. that's why I said what I said. Yeah, and... and um, I gave somebody Romans 3.23. I did them all out of order, so I have no idea who I gave what to, because my... For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And what does all mean? All. So Ray often says that we are raising little sinners when he refers to our children. Now, don't get me wrong. We have some good kids. But just like every other person in the world, they have a sinful nature. And that becomes apparent the more that you're around them. And so as we look at our passage today, that's the idea we want to keep in mind. We are sinners and we all have a sinful nature that fights against us. Or that fights within us, I should say. And so in Romans 6 and 7, just a reminder, Paul is addressing some of those potential objections of the Roman believers. And he did this by asking and then answering some questions. And so think back to, to our last two weeks of lessons. What are some of the questions that he asked the last couple of weeks? In 6.1, what did he ask? Shall we go on sinning so we can have more grace? Yeah, should we keep on sinning so we can experience more grace? And he used the illustration there of baptism with that one. And then in uh, verse six, chapter 6, verse 15, what was the question that he asked? Yeah, should we just keep on sinning because the law, we're, we're not under the law anymore? And that one he used the illustration of slavery, and then he used, uh, last week we talked about marriage. And so this week, Paul's going to ask us another question. Um, Romans 7, 7 through 12. What then shall we say? That the law is sin by no means. Yet, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law. But when the commandment came, sin came. But when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin... Seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it killed me. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and righteous, and good. And so Paul asks us that question in verse uh, 7, and what does he ask this time? 
the law is sin. Yeah, is, is the law sin? And just like he answered all of the other objections, what did he say? By no means. By no means. So the, the objection he's addressing here is basically, what good is the law if we don't need it anymore? What is the value of the law? So in, in Romans 7, Paul uses the word law 16 times. Paul finds the law to be extremely important. Um, and, and so let's see what he says about the law. He gives us several reasons why the law is important. And so first, he says the law reveals our sin. And so in verse 7, he says, Yet if it had been for the law, I would not have known sin. The law is what shows us what our sin is. Um, James 1, 22 through 25. So the law exposes our failures. It exposes our shortcomings. It gives us a standard to live by. And Warren Wiersbe says, the law is a mirror that reveals the inner man and shows us how dirty we are. And then Paul mentions a particular sin here. Which one does he mention? Coveting. Coveting, Coveting is the 10th commandment. It is, the, it is the one commandment that is entirely inward. There is, I mean, you can sometimes see, see it, but, but it the, externally, but for the most part, that coveting is entirely inward. But it is also the one that, the commandment that leads to the breaking of a lot of the other ones, you know, shall not steal. Well, why not? They have more than I do. Shall not uh, murder. Well, I don't, I don't like them because they have this, this, or that. You know, there's, there's coveting that's at the root of a lot of our other commandments. Um, Again, Warren Wearsby, he says it's an insidious sin that most people never recognize in their own lives, but God's law reveals it. And so that revealing of our sin, that's what's needed before we can come to see our need for Christ. Um, there's in uh, Mark 10, 17 through 22 is the story of the rich young ruler. This one will be a familiar one, but... Uh, we're going to read it again anyway. Uh, Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem. A man came running up to him, knelt down, and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus asked. Only God is good to good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. 
You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There is still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give your money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. So we have this man. On the outside, he looked like he had followed everything he was supposed to do. He had, he had obeyed, he had kept all the commandments. He had followed the law to the letter and thought he was fine. So um, when he went to Jesus, he really thought Jesus was gonna say, well done, you're great, you know? But what did Jesus say? Yeah, he said, he said, let go of all that stuff you have and follow me. He had done everything he could on the outside, but he had never faced that internal sin on the inside. Um, Jesus did not tell him about the law because the law would save him. He told him about the law because the young man did not realize his own sinfulness. He hadn't used it um, to, to, to recognize his own sinfulness. Because which commandment had he broken here? Number 10. Number 10. <laughs> he had broken number 10. He was coveting. It was his own stuff. But he was holding so tightly to those things... That, that it truly revealed what a sinner he really was. And so what happened in the end? He walked away. He was, he was sad. He walked away unconverted. He died, so to speak. Yeah. He, he and, and in that walking away, he rejected Jesus but also um, rejected that, that revealing of the sin in his life. Um, the second reason that the law is important is that the, the law arouses sin. It reveals our, our proclivity to sin, our tendency to sin. It stirs up sin in our hearts. Um, as we think about verses 8 and 9 here, we have to think a little bit about where Paul was coming from. We've talked about Paul previously, but we've all slept since then. So we're going to take a minute to just recall Paul's life. And so in uh, Philippians 3, 1 through 11, there are more places than just this, but this one sort of summarizes what, what our goal is. So Philippians 3, 1 through 11. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evil doers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. 
though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If anyone thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord, for those sake, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so, somehow, attaining to the resurrection from the dead. So here's Paul, and he's, he's addressing the Philippian church, but he's telling them some about himself and about, uh, about the role of the law in his life. So what are some of the things that he did so that he could check those boxes from the law? He reminded them of it. He's got a perfect heritage. Yeah, his his heritage. And somebody else said something. Zeal, Z- zeal for the law. He was he was circumcised. He was most definitely a Hebrew. In fact, he was a Pharisee. He he was a, a persecutor of the church because that was the right thing to do according to the law under the law blameless there in verse six for him the law was life right for him he spent his entire life seeking to obey the law and and yet we get to verses eight and nine in romans uh, in romans seven But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. Paul knew the law. He knew the demands of the law. Uh, But Timothy Keller says he saw the rules of the law, but not the holiness of the law. So Paul's saying that even though he thought that he was spiritually alive, he thought he was good because he had followed the law, that his perception was false. He had missed the entire point of the law. In other words, he's saying, I realized I was dead. I thought I was good, better than most, because, you know, here's my pedigree, right? But then I was overwhelmed with failure and, com- and condemnation. And what, what was it that came that, that changed for him, that changed it for him? Seeing. Seeing the law. Yeah, it was seeing the law. It says through the, through the commandment, right? The commandment came. It was already in the world. It had been there for thousands of years before, before Paul 
but it came into his life. And so the Pharisees thought of sin externally only, made it far easier to think of yourself as an obedient law-abiding person. I haven't murdered anybody. I haven't stolen anything. I'm good to my mom and dad. Like, I'm good, you know? But, But Jesus, even Jesus, so it's not just Paul, shows us that the commandments were not just about that outward behavior. Um, did I give someone Matthew 5, 21 through 22? Yes. Okay. You've heard it said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court, and anyone who says you fool will be and so Jesus is specifically mentioning the commandment, you shall not murder in, in that verse, but he's intending it to show for all the commandments. It's not just that external behavior, letter of the law, murder, that it's that internal, um, that uh, 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 the, the motive, the heart, the whole thing inside that nobody externally can see is, is what's the important part of, uh, of those, in particular, the Ten Commandments, but really the whole Old Testament law. And so Paul specifically talks about the, the commandment, Tenth Commandment of covetousness, coveting. What does it mean to covet? To, to want or desire. What else? Discontentment. That's a good word. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and it includes it, it includes grumbling and complaining and murmuring. It includes self-pity. It's not just about want, the wanting of something else, but an idolatrous longing for more. More beauty, more wealth, more popularity, more approval. It's, it's those times when you, put, you know, post something to Facebook. Like we um, just got our family pictures. My cousin took them over Christmas for us. Just got them back and I'm like, well, which one do I post? Which one am I going to have so that it gets the most likes, right? Because that's the whole goal of Facebook. It's watching that number go higher and higher, you know. How do you know that your longing for more is idolatrous? It's because of what happens when you don't achieve those things. It's because you become bitter and downcast when it doesn't happen probably become all-consuming. Yeah. Not room for anything else. Yeah, exactly. So, so Paul here, externally, very, very good. Right? We read all those things in Philippians 3. Very, very good externally. 
but internally he could not be anything other than a sinner. And there's something in human nature that wants to rebel whenever a law is given. Right? Being, being enticed by forbidden fruit is as old as the Garden of Eden. Right? Just like when we see someone that looks at this sign and says, I can't really still be wet and touches the wall, right? We have a nature that causes us to respond wrongly to God's law. We have an innate desire to do something for no other reason than because it's forbidden. Ultimately, it's because we want to be in control. We want to play God. We want to be sovereign. And that's what the law is reminding us. The law is reminding us that we are not God. But we can't blame the law for proclaiming God's will. It's not the, the, yeah, the, the law does not give life. It does not, it does not give death, but it can reveal guilt and condemnation. We, um, we don't want to live by the law. Because if we live by the law, we will become legalistic and we will not grow and we will not bear fruit. We will do because we're supposed to, not because, uh, not because we have the desire to. You think about an Orthodox church. They're proud of its high standards. And they end up judging one another and condemning one another. And that judgment leads to fights and to splits and to bitterness and to anger. Uh, Tony Merida says, once the law came, whoops, once the law came, then the awareness of sin and death came. The Mosaic law did not bring life but death. Sin was magnified and judgment came as a result. And so the, the law leads to, to judgment. But finally, the law shows us the sinfulness of our sin. Uh, those that are unsaved, they know that there's sin. They know that things are right and wrong. Um, but they don't understand the sinfulness of sin. They don't understand the nature of sin. We use, we use words like a mistake or a weakness. Um, we, we excuse our sins. But God condemns our sins, tries, us to, to, tries to get us to see, the, like Paul did, that we are exceedingly sinful. And until we realize how wicked sin really is, we will never want to oppose it and live in victory. But the law is good. It is sin that makes the tragedy. 
And sin has to be really bad to make such terrible results from something that is so really good. Um, So then Paul asks us another question in verse 13, uh, Romans 7, 13. Did that which was good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. And so so Paul here is saying, is the law a killer? Basically, was it, you know, did, did that which is good, did the law bring death to me? And then he answered, by no means. He tells us that sin is the killer, but the law is, is basically the law is the weapon. Um. Sin is the killer, but the law is the weapon. And and Paul's talking about his experience in struggling with sin. And we think about Paul, we think about he's, he was the Pharisee of Pharisees, right? But then he became this like pillar of of the Christian church, you know, writing all these letters, giving all this this great information. But here we see him experience him sharing his experience in struggling with sin. And so we've seen the purpose of the law, and we've seen that it's not the that the sin is not the killer itself. I mean, that the law is not the killer itself. Um, then we get to a section, and this is the section where we really have to slow down and focus on what it's telling us. And so this is Romans seven fourteen through 25. Well, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord, so that 
I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. So our nature is carnal. Our nature is of the flesh. But the nature of the law is spiritual. And if the nature of the law is spiritual, then it has to deal with our spirit, with, with our inner, uh, inner woman, even though I wrote man. Um, this, this is why the old nature responds to the, to the law in the way that it does. The law can't transform the old nature. It can only reveal the sin in the old nature. And so the law cannot change you. You're still going to have that sinful nature. But also the law cannot enable you to do good. Paul tells us three times in those verses that sin dwells in us. That sin dwelling in us, that's his way of referencing the old nature, our, our sinful nature. Now all these all these eyes in this section um just so you're aware there is theological debate about whether paul is referring to himself to a different group of people to himself before he was a christian to himself after he was a christian we're going with it's it's paul in the time that he was writing this because there were good arguments for that um and but but what we have to recognize um, is that um, that our mind, our will, and our body can all be controlled by the flesh, or our mind, our will, and our body can be controlled by the new nature, which is the spirit. And so Romans 8 will be next week. We'll teach us more about the Spirit of God enabling us to live in victory. Um, but what, we're, what we find in, in our passage here is that we have two distinct problems. So the first problem is Paul says that he cannot do the good that he wants to do. And the second problem is that he does the evil he does not want to do. So in Romans 6, our problem was, how can I stop doing bad things? And here, our problem is, how can I ever do anything good? Um, Warren Wiersbe says, the legalist says, obey the law and you will do good and have a good life. But the law only reveals and arouses sin, showing us how sinful it is. It is impossible for me to obey the law because I have a sinful nature that rebels against the law. Even if I think I have done good, I know that evil is present. The law is good, but by nature I am bad. So the legalist is wrong. The law cannot enable us to do good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the law can't change us. The law can't enable us to do good. And then we see that the law cannot set us free. 
the old nature wants to keep you in bondage. And we cannot overcome the flesh, the sinful nature, the old nature. We cannot overcome it with the law. Under the law, you would become tired, discouraged, and you would give up. You, know, you exert all your energy to try to live a good life, only to discover that the best you do, the, the you worked so hard for, was still not good enough. And so there's hope. That's next week's lesson with life in the spirit, um, because that's where our deliverance is. And, and that's what, um, what Paul starts to reference. Uh, no one ever in their Christian life grows enough to no longer see their sin. Timothy Keller says, the more holy we become, the less holy we feel. And so we always must expect a fight with our sinful nature. But the good news is that temptation and internal conflict is consistent with being a growing Christian. And so be encouraged when you struggle with sin. Um, next week, we will get to hear from Elizabeth about the Holy Spirit as we look at Romans 8, 1 through 17. So read the passage, observe it, try your hand at explaining it, see what you think you should change about your life after studying it. And then we are dismissed to our small groups. <laughs>